What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Thank you, Scott. Surprise. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Bill Griffith. Here's what's uh, ahead on this Friday edition. The coronavirus continues to grow with more cases now being diagnosed here in the United States. We've got the latest numbers for you. The markets are jittery uh, in the reaction with all of this and why one expert says this the timing of this is going to be very difficult to try and control. Also, your credit score is about to change. Maybe for the good, maybe for the bad. FICO is getting ready to tweak its model and we'll tell you who could get a bump and who may not be real happy about these changes. And Mike Bloomberg is not just flooding the airwaves with campaign cash. He's also, also do- doling out big bills to get people to join his team. All that's coming up this hour. But we begin with today's market. Seema Modi has our numbers for us right now. Seema. Bill Griffith, great to see you in-house. Three hours left in trade. And we're watching the markets here closely. We started the day higher by 100 points. The Dow uh, quickly reversing gains here, now down 129 after the second U.S. case of coronavirus was confirmed. Plus, further delays at Boeing. You're looking at the S&P 500 holding on to 3303 and a Nasdaq down just about 50 points. Now, fears over the possible economic impact of the virus continuing to pressure oil prices, now on track for its worst week since May, uh, down about 7%. And with that, it's pulling down a number of the energy producers. Diamondback, Cabot, Concho, uh, you can see down about 2 to 4%, but actually down uh, double digits just this week. And it's worth noting that this earnings season, energy is the only sector that is expected to see a decline in earnings growth. Now, speaking of laggards, the China ETF posting its first negative week since November, uh, down about 6%. Optimism around trade has actually helped Chinese stocks outperform over the past two months, but certainly a different story as we focus in on that virus. Bill, back to you. Seema, thank you, and we'll see you next hour, as a matter of fact. Uh, We begin with our big story of the day, the coronavirus outbreak. There are now 911 total confirmed cases, including two here in the U.S., And you may have heard about the 26 deaths in China so far. Eunice Yoon is live in Beijing with the very latest there. Meg Terrell is following all the latest developments for us here in the U.S. Eunice, start us off. Good morning. Good morning, Bill. Well, you know, the uh, number of confirmed cases has now ticked up to 926. And the Chinese government uh, said that it is now restricting travel for 16 cities. So that's 45 million people. Uh, the focus now is on whether the Chinese government is going to be able to uh, manage the situation on the ground. Does it have enough resources and the ability? There have been several reports now out of Wuhan, the epicenter of the outbreak of a hospital 
hospitals, uh, lacking doctors and not having enough uh, testing equipment and kits to be able to diagnose new cases. Uh, the military uh, sent in some of its top medics tonight. And uh, Wuhan is also building a thousand person, a thousand bed uh, hospital uh, from prefabricated materials in the next several days. This is supposed to be finished uh, by at the latest February 3rd. Uh, Beijing is also taking other extreme measures in order to try to contain the virus and make sure that people don't go outside. As of this weekend, uh, China is closing all 70,000 movie theaters. Uh, Travel agencies can no longer sell uh, tour packages for domestic or overseas travel. And parts of the Great Wall, as well as other tourist attractions, especially during the, during the Lunar New Year holiday, um, or popular during the Lunar New Year holiday, have been shut. Uh, Disney says that it's also closing. It's a Shanghai theme park. As of Saturday, uh, this park would normally see a lot of people, hundreds of thousands of visitors during the Lunar New Year holiday, which is a seven-day period, Bill. Did you say a thousand-bed facility will be ready in about, what, 10 days? That's amazing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they're making it out of prefabricated materials. They've done this before. The Chinese did this back in 2003 with the SARS outbreak uh, right here in Beijing. Um, And uh, Wuhan wants to be able to do something very similar. And uh, the idea is to... uh, pool all the medical resources for these affected patients and to keep all of these coronavirus-affected patients away from some of the others in the hospitals, because currently uh, the patients are in designated areas, but they're not all in the same place. Eunice Yoon, live for us there in Beijing. Eunice, thank you. To the U.S. now and Meg Terrell, what do we know this time around? Well, right now the numbers are significantly lower in the United States. We did get news this morning that the second patient here in the U.S. has been confirmed to have this novel coronavirus. Uh, She was a traveler from Wuhan, and she joins uh, a man in his 30s in Washington State who was confirmed earlier this week who also had traveled uh, from Wuhan, China. The CDC says currently 63 patients are under investigation for potentially having this virus in 22 states. They have confirmed 11 negative patients so far, and they are trying to speed up testing by seeking approval to um, have their tests be done by states rather than having to ship the samples directly to CDC, which is what they have to do now, which is why it takes so long. What we know about the uh, patient in Chicago, she's a woman in her 60s. She had traveled from Wuhan. She's a resident uh, in Chicago. Currently, she's in stable condition, um, and it doesn't sound like she had much close contact outside of people in her home since she got back. She was not symptomatic while she traveled. CDC does say they expect potentially more cases here in the U.S although they say they believe the risk to the U.S. right now is low. Two quick questions. Uh, How soon before we get a rapid test? Well, they can do the test in a number of hours. The problem is that they have to do it at CNBC headquarters, so samples have to be shipped there. So once they can distribute that to the states, that'll be a huge help. But more diagnostics, public health researchers tell me, would be helpful. All right. I'll ask the other question while we get into (laughs) the interview here, because uh, uh, is there any way for the U.S. to keep this from spreading here at home, bringing in Michael Osterloh. He's the director of the Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota. He's also served as a science envoy for health security on behalf of the U.S. State Department. Michael, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Bill. What do you make of this so far? Reminiscent of SARS? How bad do you think this could get here in the U.S.? 
Well, first of all, I think that the U.S. is going to have a double impact, you might say. Uh, we're surely going to see more cases, and I think that people that come from China are easily identified as potentially at-risk people. The concern will be when they actually get here and transmit to other U.S. citizens who don't have travel histories, and that's when we can expect to see this virus move more in the U.S. Right now, this virus is moving much like a flu virus in terms of its transmission, which when we think about that, we know that's very effective. The second thing, though, that I think is really relevant to you in this show here and the impact that we all worry about uh, long-term is that many of the critical products that we use every day, such as medicines, medical devices, are actually manufactured in these areas of China that are being shut down. These are just-in-time delivery systems for which we already have drug shortages in this country from Chinese-made drugs. Uh, that's just one example. So I worry that the economic impact will actually lead to serious health consequences as this particular uh, event goes on. Let me just say we're in basically the first week of what I would call the Chinese corona winter, and uh, we've got a long ways to go before we're going to get out of this one. Dr. Osterholm, what has to happen um, for the situation to get serious enough that you see a disruption in the supply chain like that, which, as you point out, could affect manufacturing and supply of these important medical materials from China? But if it got that serious, would it then also be affecting other industries, iPhone manufacturing, anything that's manufactured in China? Well, there are actually two aspects to the manufacturing process. First of all, you have to have people. And uh, we, you already talked about the fact that we're having many, many millions of people right now that don't have access to public transit to get to work. So factories, even if they wanted to run, are having a difficult time. Second of all, uh, China obviously has a number of different diverse industries that are not all located in this area near Wuhan. But don't forget that Wuhan is the uh, transportation capital of China, which connects basically Beijing, Shanghai, and Hong Kong. And so shutting it down is kind of like shutting down uh, New York City, Washington, D.C. Uh, for rail service and assuming you're going to have East Coast rail service. Uh, so that I think that that's a big challenge. Um, part of the problem we're going to see right now is not going to happen today or tomorrow, but every company who has any manufacturing capacity in China right now better be looking very carefully at its supply chains, uh, where its various uh, ingredients, uh, uh, active pharmaceutical compounds, or other parts are coming from, and I think that this is something that's not yet appreciated. The response the Chinese are using right now is questionable from a public health standpoint, and I can absolutely say with certainty it's going to have an impact on uh, supplies of very critical products around the world within days to weeks. All right, we all have our fingers crossed. Let's hope it doesn't get a whole lot worse, but uh, we've got, we remember what happened with SARS and some of the other previous uh, issues in the past. Michael, thank you for joining us today. Appreciate it very much. Meg, keep us posted. Of course. I know you will. And here's what else is ahead on The Exchange. Coming up, the market continues to climb despite growing concerns about the coronavirus. Are we in an irrational bull market? Plus, big changes are coming to the way your credit score is calculated. And for some, it may be bad news. And what's in a name? Apparently a lot when it comes to getting funding. This is The Exchange on CNBC. 
Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back. So stocks have given up gains after the CDC confirmed that second case of the coronavirus in the U.S., but not before the Nasdaq set yet another record high earlier today. It seems that the rally is not over despite the occasional dips like we're seeing today, even with the 10-year Treasury yield on track for its biggest weekly decline since last November. And Bank of America today called this an irrational bull phase today notwithstanding, I guess. Is there a case to be made here for the markets? Joining us, Kim Forrest. She's Chief Investment Officer at Boca Capital Partners. Charlie Wobrinskoy is the Head of Investment Group at Ariel Investments. Good to see you both. Charlie, what do you think? Um, You know, I've been hearing some money managers and and other pundits saying that this time uh, it feels like the uh, around the 1999 era. We know what happened after that. Are, Are you sensing that we're getting a little frothy in the market here? First of all, it's good to see you, Bill. Uh, Rumors of your retirement are clearly exaggerated. Uh, (laughs) Wonderful to see you. Um, I would say it feels a little 1996-ish, which is uh, when things started to get very expensive. Uh, The quote about irrational exuberance came out back then. But what we found was the market can remain irrationally excited, particularly about tech stocks, for a long, long period of time. In that case, it lasted for four more years. So that's where I'm going to come down here. I'm going to say uh, Tesla is overvalued. A lot of the FANG stocks are overvalued. But I can't say what's going to stop it. And I don't have any reason to believe it's going to end this year. Kim, one stock that people are pointing to in this time is Intel. It's up another 8% today after the earnings came out. You own it. Is that an Intel smile I see in your face? But do you feel like we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here? Well, I think there's always... Um, stocks that you can look at and say that one's overvalued. But I think in aggregate, I don't agree with that. And I don't agree with uh, about Intel either. They have um, clearly uh, a lot of buyers or enough buyers of their main product, which is for the data center. And uh, we're moving to the cloud and data center people that build them like to have very consistent um, chips that, uh, you know, work a certain way and they right. know how they fail. And, you know, that's why Intel is winning. But is, is it worth it? To, I mean, AMD has had a stellar 12-month period, up 160%. Yep. I mean, is that, is that reflective of the actual fundamentals out there or are they anticipating something that's not going to happen? Uh, I would say that there's a chance that, um, you know, uh, AMD doesn't necessarily reach the heights that everybody who's buying it today might think. But um, I do think that they've uh, had a great turnaround and deserve some price appreciation. Maybe they're a little ahead of themselves now. Charlie, you don't like Tesla and some of the other frothy stocks. What do you like right now? What's out there that's getting your attention? If you had to generalize, it's value stocks. It's low P.E. stocks. I mean, this has been, uh, for the last hundred years, value stocks have beaten growth stocks for every 10-year period, except for the 10 years ending in 2000 and the 10 years ending last year. Uh, And so value stocks are just very cheap compared to growth stocks. And so there's some names 
like uh, we talk about Goldman Sachs, it's trading at book value. We talk about Lazar, the investment bank uh, with a wonderful emerging market asset management business, it's trading 11 times earnings. And media, of course, is extremely cheap. Viacom CBS trading at about six times earnings. So uh, there are pockets of value uh, where things are still attractive. The overall market we would call fairly valued to maybe a little overvalued. Kim, how much longer do you hang on to Intel? Well, I would hang on for the foreseeable future because I think that demand is only going to grow for chips and they are a reliable maker of, um, you know, the uh, garden variety sort of chips that are going into the cloud. So that's one of the reasons why we like them. All right. Kim Forrest, Charlie Boberinskoy, good to see you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And this retirement is working out pretty well for me, Charlie, that's for sure. <laughs> See you later. So all the attention was supposed to be on Boeing's 777X today as it gets ready to take its first flight. But just hours before that launch, CNBC has learned that it is considering another cut to the 787 Dreamliner production. Phil LeBeau is live in Everett, Washington for us, where that new plane is on the runway, waiting for liftoff there for uh, for takeoff, Phil. But, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to decide which... Uh, airliner we're supposed to be focusing on today, huh? And we'll focus on the 777X in just a little bit. Right now, it's it's down the runway. It's going to taxi down here. If the conditions are just right in terms of tailwind, uh, the ceiling cover, then it'll take off uh, up here uh, momentarily. But in terms of the other story, Bill, uh, what we're talking about is the 787 Dreamliner. Now, sources have confirmed for us that Boeing is considering a production rate cut further from what they have already announced. And just to bring everybody up to speed, Boeing is currently building 14 787 Dreamliners per month. That drops down later this year to 12 Dreamliners per month. Don't be surprised as the company looks at potentially reducing production further in the future that we see it drop down to maybe 11 or 10 per month. That's not confirmed at this point. When we reached out to Boeing and we said, are you considering this? The company issued a statement saying, look, we are always looking at our production schedules. We adjust them as necessary. So no confirmation from the company at this point. But our sources tell us that this is something Boeing is considering. Is this going to be a huge move to the bottom line? Probably not. But it is something certainly people will keep their eyes on as the wide body market. As you look out, it is softening just a little bit over the next couple of years. And again... We're going to see this 777X. It's going to taxi past me here in just a few minutes. Bill? All right, uh, Phil, and I'm told we're uh, outside the two-minute window, so we're going to take a quick break. If they do decide to take yep. off during commercial, if you wouldn't mind jumping on the tarmac and, and holding it back there for just a moment so we can see it live <laughs> when it happens. I sure. appreciate that very much. Yeah. Uh, Phil LeBeau there in Everett, Washington, where, amazingly, it's raining. Imagine that in Washington. Uh, big salaries, catered meals, the latest iPhone, just some of the perks that billionaire presidential candidate Mike Bloomberg is offering to woo campaign staffers. Smart strategy or waste of money? We debate. Plus, it's not a boarding house, it's co-living in luxury. And it means big business for one startup. We'll have details on that story coming up. And a reminder, you can always watch us or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. The exchange is back in two minutes. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, 
packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome back to The Exchange. Quick look at the markets today. Uh, moving lower right now, the Dow down nearly 200 points at the lows of the session, slightly above that level right now. The Nasdaq, the worst performer, down nearly a percent after having hit an all-time high earlier in the session. So a little volatility today. Sue Herrera has our CNBC News update this hour. Hello, Sue. Hello, Bill. Great to see you. Here's what's happening at this hour, everyone. Two people died after a massive explosion leveled a warehouse in Houston, damaging nearby buildings and homes. Houston's police chief commenting on the investigation into the cause. We have no reason to believe. We have no evidence at this point that uh, terrorism is involved. We don't have any evidence that a uh, criminal, an intentional act is involved. Having said that, when you have this kind of type of incident, part of our protocol is to always conduct uh, a criminal investigation. The flu season shows no signs of slowing down. The CDC says the flu is still widespread in every state except for Oregon and Hawaii. 37 states are reporting high activity up from 34 last week. NFL wide receiver Antonio Brown was granted bail this morning after spending the night in a Florida jail. He will have to pay a bond of $110,000, surrender his passport, wear a monitor, receive mental health evaluations, and pass random drug tests. He is accused of attacking the driver of a moving truck that carried some of his possessions from California. You're up to date, Bill. That's the news update. Back to you. Thank you, ma'am. See you next hour. Mm -hmm. So the impeachment trial of President Trump continues today as the Democrats prepare to conclude their case. Elon Mui is on Capitol Hill for us, monitoring all the developments right now on the very latest. Elon. Bill, we are in the home stretch for House Democrats. They are right now wrapping up their arguments on Article 1, abuse of power. Then they'll turn later this afternoon to Article 2, obstruction of justice. Lead House Manager Adam Schiff said that the president's refusal to allow his aides to testify and to turn over documents erodes the system of checks and balances that the framers had envisioned. Now, after today is over, the White House will finally get its time in the spotlight. But President Trump is not happy that his team has to start on a Saturday. Over Twitter, he called it Death Valley in TV because of the low ratings. So there had been a lot of speculation, Bill, that tomorrow's session would be somehow cut short. But Majority Leader Mitch McConnell just confirmed a few minutes ago that the trial will resume tomorrow and that it will last for several hours. Back over to you. All right, Elon. Thank you very much. We're going to take a quick break. Here else is what's coming up on The Exchange. Ahead. Disney, movies, and hamburgers. The coronavirus is impacting more than just travel stocks. Changes are coming to your FICO score, and for some, the changes won't be good. The highest-paid NFL athlete hangs up his helmet. 
And what's in a name? Apparently a lot. It's all coming up on The Exchange. Welcome back to Boeing 777X is officially getting ready to take off in Everett, Washington. Our Phil LeBeau is there. Uh, yes, get Bob Pollock out of the way so we can see you. <laughs> Poor uh, Bob. Yes. He's got to wipe the water he's off gonna, the He's going to make his debut eventually on, uh, on national television. <laughs> I'm told that Boeing's stock is on the session lows, but everything's selling off right, right. now except Intel. Tell us the significance yep. again of this particular jet. Well, the 777X is the next generation of the 777, which is the Boeing's very popular wide body. They've been building this for more than 20 years, and it is a larger version of the 777. It is powered by new GE9X engines, and when this plane takes off, it's a little hard to get perspective. These engines are massive, and the reason that uh, they have been built for this plane, better fuel efficiency, a better efficiency overall for the airplane, these engines are so wide or big in terms of the circumference, you could stick a fuselage of a 737 inside of the engine circumference on the GE9X. That just gives you some perspective on how large they are. For the 777X, they're promising 10% reduction in cost per seat for the airlines that ultimately will fly this plane. And that's huge when you're talking about the distances that this plane will cover Passenger load depends on how it's configured. It'll be about 350, 360 uh, passengers. Now, if they do a stretch version of the 777X, then you could see it potentially get up to 410, 420 passengers, as Bob once again wipes the camera there. Uh, but we have to, guys, because we're in uh, a bit of a rainstorm yeah, out here on the yeah. berm uh, in Everett, Washington. And uh, r- remind me, why do we care about this, this, uh, this test flight? Um, Is this this a reminder by Boeing that they have some positive things going for them right now? No. No. Whenever you have a new aircraft, the first flight, it's not just a big occasion for the, the company that manufactures the plane. It is really the beginning of the test flight sequence that the company will go through with the FAA, with whatever regulator who is uh, approving that plane. So this begins what will be a series of test flights for the 777X. They believe that they will get this plane certified by the FAA, whether it's later this year or early next year, and then first deliveries on the 777X beginning next year. And just as a point of reminder, that's behind schedule from what they originally planned. They thought they would have first deliveries this year. Now it's been pushed back to next year. So this is the beginning of the test flight sequence of events that will happen over the next several months. All right. Uh, well, we must move on, my friend. So uh, hopefully this thing you'll will be, take you'll off. You'll be soon. back to me. Oh, I'm this sure plane we will. will. Take off. You know what's going to happen. We'll We're going to miss the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> Phil LeBeau there in Everett, Washington. Thank you. We'll check back with you and Bob Pollock in a little bit. So let's get to my favorite time of the day, rapid fire. And here with their take, we've got Robert Frank, Captain America himself, Rahel <laughs> Solomon. Have we done this before? And look who's in the, uh, the fat seat today. Oh, wow. Eric Chemi. The thin guy, Eric Chemi. We're really Chemi. pulling back the curtain viewers, viewers who wouldn't understand it would think we're calling Eric fat, which he's not. Obviously, he's in it's great just, shape. It's just the but most it's unflattering just, seat exactly. on the spot. set. Yes. Yeah. yes. Good to see all of you here. Uh, first, though, not a happy topic, the Wuhan coronavirus that has sickened more than 900 people, uh, leading to various shutdowns in multiple Chinese cities, including the Shanghai Disney theme park and 70,000 movie theaters in China. Julia Borston is uh, stepping in 
with some of the latest developments there. I mean, this just tells us how significant this is already in China when you're shutting down some major businesses over there, Julia. Absolutely, Bill. I mean, this is a huge deal for Disney Shanghai shutting down the park. Disney saying that it's working to either reschedule guests or to refund guests. And Lunar New Year, I can't stress enough how important this season is, both for parks and for movie theaters. Disney had already sold out tickets. They were making a big deal for the deal for the Year of the Rat, calling it Year of the Mouse for Mickey Mouse and really investing a lot in there. Um, in, in this season. So they're going to be losing some revenue there. Though worth noting that Disney only owns 43% of that park. Then over in the movie theaters, 70,000 movie theaters shut down in what was expected to be a massive uh, Lunar New Year season at the box office, expected to bring in as much as a billion dollars in the box office. But worth noting, Bill, there are no U.S. movies that were scheduled to open and then canceled, only Chinese movies that have been canceled for that big box office season. Julia, thank you. Uh, this is... It's major, and we're also starting to see American corporations take notice as well, in addition to Disney, right? So McDonald's now shutting yes. down its locations in five regions where this has really become concerning, but also saying outside of those five regions that every employee at a McDonald's in China will be tested when they come in for their shift to see if they have a high temperature, and if they do, they're going to be sent home. So sure? it really is alarming. You know, Dr. Scott Gottlieb was on Squawk Box this morning and saying it's unclear whether these lockdowns will really work, given that what he called the golden window, which is the early incubation period, is long gone. And so, yes, you're locking down 30 million people, but it may not do any good because all these people have already dispersed. It's already yeah. being distributed. Right. Usually these things go away, right? We were talking about Zika before, swine flu, SARS, all these things when we would freak out. Yeah. And then all of a sudden one day we didn't talk about it anymore. And right. that was it. And then right. it just went away. They, so they do usually until they don't like SARS. Right. Or what, what's right. significant is if somebody gives that virus to somebody else when they get back here to the United States, then you've got a problem on your hands. Right. So far it's just the people who've been to China right. come back to the U.S., and they start showing symptoms here. But you're going to wait to, to see if it becomes a, uh, a, a bigger problem there. Uh, next up, at-home DNA testing company 23andMe cutting 100 jobs amid a sales slowdown. It's not the only one feeling the pain. Meg Terrell just spoke to the CEO of genetic sequencing company Illumina and asked if his company was seeing a slowdown as well. Listen to this. Yeah, that market slowed down last year. So it's had a few years now of very strong growth in the 15, 16, 17 time frame. But last year we saw a slowdown. A business with which I'm familiar, but I'm Your book was your too thought. successful, Bill. That's well, the problem. Too uh, many people read that and were worried. I, I told Kelly she shouldn't have done that genetic test because of you, because they've did got all your a, data. Did she get it back yet? Yeah, she got it. She did it. But they, they, they track all your data. I mean, I know a lot of government employees, and they're being told yeah, by the government, by the don't do, do it. not yeah. do this. Yeah. Military. Yep. This is not good from a privacy, data safety standpoint. Right. And also from a business point of view, you can only buy this thing once. It's right. not like a gym membership where you go back after. I mean, how many times you get a genetic test? Once. All right, well, my dad wasn't well, my dad. You, you okay, can that's upgrade. it. You can upgrade. You can get there are other oh, genetic so tests. Have you can take. User, no, right? no. Why do you, Bill, why do you think it's slow? Uh, two things. Uh, one, privacy. I think that's number one. Mm -hmm. That by far is number one. People are worried about privacy, and we hear about these. Uh, that the data uh, will be sold by these companies. Yeah, that, or? That, 
And, you or know, given there, to the cops. There is the, sort of this. Which it has uh, been in, in the past. It, it's, it's not a tangential feeling that somebody has that they can put their finger on, but it's just this fear that your DNA is going to end up in somebody's hands that you don't want them to know about. It, right? Yeah. I know it. Two, Ancestry has owned this market now for a few years. And I'm not surprised that it's 23andMe that's uh, cutting employees because Ancestry by far has the biggest market share in this business. So companies like 23andMe, Family Tree DNA, and others, MyHeritage, I'm sure have seen a huge decline in the number of DNA tests taken. And we're also hearing some executives say that they think if there are fears about the economy slowing down, that people may not want to spend a couple hundred dollars on these sort of tests. I don't know about that. I I wonder if it's more the privacy concerns. The price is coming down, though. Okay. So you can't always point to that. And I've been on record as saying that the, the day is coming because right now it's too expensive to try and do your whole genome. Uh, but the day is coming when insurance companies will require you, Eric Chemi, to take a DNA test. That That'll be scary. Then why even have insurance? The whole idea yeah. is to average it out, but we know exactly what it is. So what's the right, point? Right, right. You'll have more, uh, more data, though. More data. You're Mr. Yeah. Data. You too much data is a problem. Oh, it's other people's data that's good, just not your own. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then there's this two-time Super Bowl champ, Eli Manning, officially hanging up his cleats today. I wonder if Tyler Matheson's going to do a tribute to him. Yeah. Call to- him. Anyway, uh, I went on deaf ears. Addressing fans and the media in a final farewell at the New York Giants practice facility. Do you know, believe it or not, he is retiring as the NFL's highest earner of all Time. And look who's next to him. Raking in 250 million bucks over his 16-year career. And yes, Brother Peyton is number two. Check back in a year from now. I was just going to say, oh, you so may right. not have to wait a year. Yeah. Who's going to pass him first? I mean, if you had Tom to, Brady or uh, Drew Brees. Yeah, Brady and Rodgers are coming after him. Brees are coming after him. I mean, he's going to drop down out of the top five in a couple of years. Roethlisberger's on that list. Well, right what's, Bra- what, what's Brady going to get paid a year for next year? But look, I mean, Brady's less than 20. He's right. 17 behind him. Rodgers is less than 20 behind You know where Brees he's still going to make quite a bit of money? I would bet endorsements. Oh, Both he and Peyton are the most marketable brothers in the NFL yes. right now. And Peyton, after he stopped playing for the Broncos, I used to live in Denver. Peyton Manning was like a oh, he, he god in Denver. And, and then all but, of but Colorado, the for Eli, he's though, such a marketable the, star. So Peyton was a truly great player. Eli was kind of an average player, other than those two great postseasons. Otherwise, it was average. The value of being the quarterback of the New York Giants, that's where he got his money. If you can be pretty good as the Giants QB, that's worth money. Make a lot of money. He's going to be one of your next uh, secret lives of the ultra-rich <laughs> guys. there, yep. Yeah. Doing well. That's okay. a quarter billion. I mean, we're not talking millions. It's quarter We're moving billion. on, Jimmy. I know, I know. <laughs> Getting wound up. Finally, the latest iPhone catered meals and more than double the salary of competition. Just a few of the ways that presidential candidate Michael Bloomberg is trying to poach staffers from other campaigns. This according to a report. And you've been following the story. And, you know, this has been his M.O. for yeah. years yeah. when he was building his business years ago, right? That's right. And he has said he will spend whatever it takes. And when when you have $60 billion, that's going to be a lot. He's already outspent Donald Trump and all the other candidates almost combined just spending over $200 million in the campaign. And look, campaigning is a business. Politics is a business. So the best minds in politics, if you're going to get paid twice as much and get a free iPhone and, and iPad Pro and all this stuff and free meals and an amazing workspace. And, and by the way, the people I know who have worked on the campaign there's no budget. When you go to them and say, I want to do this project in Iowa or California. Okay. Okay. What's the budget? 
whatever it takes. We've never seen that in politics. But does it work for everyone, right? Because we've also seen in certain reporting that some people who have been approached and work for other presidential campaigns feel like it's aggressive, it's excessive, and it may not, he may not align with their values. If you are working for someone, you're young, you're gritty, you want to be aligned with a campaign that matches your values, the money may not be And by the way, it may not work for him either. It may not work for Michael Bloomberg. Yeah, you know, it, it, this money has the, gotten him up to nine oh, percent. The project polls, ends at yeah. the end of the year, right? Yeah. The money ends like come election day. This is over. You're yeah. all fired. Yeah. So yeah. then That's go back right. to your regular job. That's right. That's how that works. Gee, this has been fun. This has been great. <laughs> plane yet. What about the plane? Yeah, where's Phil? Uh, Are we gonna watch he's it? still standing out there in the rain, and Bob Pollock is still wiping off the lens there. Oh, television. Thank you, what guys. I, there we go. Uh, there you go. And oh, Pollock is down. at it again. Uh, so roses by any other name may smell as sweet, but a top analyst argues that is not the case for technology companies, and we'll have some fun with that when we come back. Welcome back to The Exchange. Let's take a look at some of the movers right now. The, uh, <clears throat> the semi-ETF, the Sox, SMH, hitting all-time highs earlier today. They have now turned lower as the market slips here. But those chip stocks, <clears throat> excuse me, have been on fire. The regional bank ETF, KRE, that's moving lower and on pace for its worst uh, day since October this is the uh, 10 year as it continues to fall right now as well. And uh, copper sinking down nearly whatever percent it is there. Uh, it's this week, its worst week since November of 2014. Wow. And you know how economically sensitive copper is. wonder what that means right now. So what's in a name, that which we call a tech company, and by any other name, would it be as successful? According to Wolf Research, the answer apparently is no. While a novel idea or concept might launch a brand, a great name may determine its long-term success. And joining us, the guy who's been thinking a lot about this, Steve Malinovich. He's the managing director and tech strategist over at Wolf Research. Good to see you. Welcome back. Good to see you. Thank you. Um, Names matter, don't they? Well, they do. And it's... uh true of any company, but particularly in tech, there's so much focus on the product and its capabilities, which are clearly important. But it turns out that what you want to do in tech is create a new category like search and then be the brand in that category. And one of the ways to get that top ladder in the mind is through the name. Uh, The name essentially becomes the brand over time. So we think names, which are often overlooked, are quite important. How do you do that, though? I mean, I think about this uh, quite often. Google means nothing. Uh, by itself, but it has become a brand name. In fact, it has become a verb when you want to do a search right now. It has been that successful, but how do you do that? How do you achieve that? Well, I think there are actually rules to good and bad names. So a good name is a proper noun, like a Google, um, as opposed to a garden.com or wine.com, where you're named after the category, which actually is not what you want to do. You want to establish the category, but then create your brand name within it. Or you have a name that's linked to a benefit like diehard battery, uh, a name that sounds good like caress, because we, we think about the, we sound them out in our mind. We read right. names, so we're actually sounding them out in our mind. Um, as opposed to you don't want to be a common name, you don't want to sound uh, kind of bad like maybe Unum or Agilent. Uh, and actually, initials generally aren't good. Right. So IBM, DXC, etc. Now, uh, if you've been very successful, people will use shorthand like IBM or AMD. But generally, when you're starting out as a new company, people are going to say, what does that stand for? And it turns out it's 40% less memorable. Now, 
uh, when you have established a brand, there are those companies that have then changed their name. And I think of Google, which became had to have this parent company, Alphabet, and then Priceline becomes Booking.com. And you have to kind of remind yourself again who that is. But yet those are pretty good names, but you don't like them. Why? Well, not too much. I mean, Booking is very generic. Um, Priceline is a little bit better. And, you know, Google, we think, is a very good name. Alphabet? I mean, <laughs> what does that stand for, right? Yeah. So I think that kind of confused everybody. Obviously, it's the holding company, and investors understand that, and Google was very well established. But you, you really want to have something that's memorable, that makes sense. Ideally, it's tied to the name. And it's, it's not just the word over time. It's also a visual. Uh, can you create a visual, whether it's a logo or, say, something like the famous Coke contour bottle, which just screams out Coke and reinforces the brand? Indeed. Milinovic is not a bad name either, by the way. Well, it's funny, Never. you know, actors simplify their names, but if you can get a Schwarzenegger through, people remember it. So I'm hoping people, once you learn Milanovic, you remember it. Actress Carrie Snodgrass was once asked if that was her real name. She said, would I change my name to Snodgrass? What do you think? <laughs> well, uh, if, it's, if it's Smuckers, it's got to be good, right? Steve Milinovic, thanks for joining us. Thank Very you. Good to see you. A new startup promises homeowners looking to rent out their house that it will both find tenants and maximize their rental income. That's coming up on The Exchange after this. Welcome back. In case you're wondering, that Boeing jet is still on the tarmac right now. And Phil LeBeau is getting drenched in the rain in Everett, Washington. The weather is getting worse. But hope springs eternal. We Wait for that takeoff there. Uh, There's a new startup that is looking to disrupt the roommate finding process while also giving homeowners a big payout. Diana Olick with that story. Alex Redding and Abby Sanka were complete strangers when they first toured this house over a year ago. But they promptly moved in together, along with three other strangers. It was perfect for me because I was just moving down here for grad school and I didn't really know anybody. They found the home through a startup called Bungalow, which rents rooms out in single-family homes. They work with landlords, renovating the homes and furnishing the kitchens and common rooms. Each renter is on a separate room contract, and the sum of those rents is more than the average rent on the whole home. Basically, we're able to capture 40 to 50 percent higher rents. Um, And so what that allows us to do is then uh, work with homeowners, and so we can actually create a higher revenue stream for them. Bungalow takes care of the maintenance, cleaning, lawn care, and utilities, and renters pay one monthly fee for all of that. Bungalow also helps roommates pre-screen each other by sending them to happy hour. I think Bungalow does a good job of like building a community of like-minded people in the same sort of um, age range and, and sort of experience. Last fall, the company announced $47 million in new funding, bringing total funds to $68 million. Collins expects that will help them scale to more than 12,000 residents by the end of this year. Fundamentally, we're looking to solve housing affordability and loneliness in community. Diana joins us now live. Uh, How does this pay scale work for tenants, by the way? Well, it depends. So you've got five tenants in this house and they each pay anywhere from $800 to $1,100 a month, depending on whether you get, you know, the master suite or the basement bedroom. And then, of course, there's that extra fee that they have to pay for the maintenance, the lawn care, the Wi-Fi, all the amenities that are in the house. But it's a pretty good deal for folks who are looking to get a lot for a little. All right, Diana. Diana Olick with the latest on the tight housing market and the ways people are dealing with it right now. 
The company behind the FICO credit score is making changes to its rating system, and millions of consumers could see their scores change. We have details on that when we come back. Deeper data at CNBC. The American Trucking Association's truck tonnage index rose 4% in December. That's the biggest monthly increase since July. Welcome back. While we were in the break, the, uh, all three of the major averages hit their session lows here with the Dow down more than 250 points. Healthcare and finance uh, are the big losers today. They're leading to the downside. Uh, Intel, uh, the semis have done very well. Intel was up more than 8% for a time on its earnings, and it has just been on fire lately. But uh, the rest of the market going south today. Meantime, changes are coming to your FICO score. Fair Isaac Corporation, the company behind the credit scoring system, is going to place more weight on missed payments and rising debt levels. Imagine that. As a result, the gap between consumers with good and bad credit is probably going to grow wider. Joining us, Ted Rossman is industry analyst for CreditCards.com. Why are they doing this now? Some of this is an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Lenders are worried that there could be a recession ahead. FICO's promising 9 to 17 percent declines in defaults under this new system. And they're looking at trended data for the first time. Basically, what have you done for me lately? They're trying to identify these new patterns. So uh, I'm somebody, I've got a couple of credit cards. Uh, I, maybe I missed a payment, one payment in the last year or so. I make my mortgage payments. I make my car payment. Is my score going to go up or down, do you think? Even that one late payment is going to hurt you. Here's the biggest thing that's changing. Let's say you and I both owe $5,000 on our credit cards. Under the old system, that part of the formula would view us the same. Nowadays, though, maybe you've been making a lot of progress. Like you used to owe $10,000 and you've paid it down to $5,000. You're moving in the right direction. Maybe I didn't used to have any debt, though. And now I have five grand, so I'm moving in the wrong direction. So now I would be penalized, you would be helped under this new formula. And they're mindful that there are a number of young people out there who are unable to get any credit, uh, you know, get their credit life started here. In some ways, this will help them, won't it? It's kind of neutral on that front. What will help those people are new programs like Ultra FICO and Experian Boost, where you opt in, you let them look at your bank account, Experian Boost has more than a million people who've done this, and they're looking for on-time cell phone and utility payments. 60% of people who opt in are seeing a benefit. The average boost is 13 points. That's a good thing for young people. You know, you and I were talking during the break. I remember when uh, they had changed the rules another time a few years ago where if you added a new credit card uh, to your portfolio or added more debt in some ways, your score went up. They welcomed that, right? But that's not the case now. And you know what's especially changing there is people who take on personal loans for debt consolidation and continue to rack up credit card bills, they're going to be hurt more under this system, trying to close that loophole, basically, that used to exist. So the best advice? Pay your bills on time, keep your debts low, don't apply for too much credit all at once. If you do that, regardless of the FICO system, you're going to come out ahead. And by the way, it's not guaranteed that all lenders are going to use this new FICO score, right? Great point. The most used system is still FICO 8, which came out in 2009. FICO 9 came out in 2014, 
and now we have this new one. It's just like iPhones, right? You might still have an iPhone 6 or 7. Not everybody has the latest and greatest. Oh, it's all so complicated. Just pay your bills. Stay, uh, stay up to date as much as you can. Ted Rossman with CreditCards.com. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. That does it for The Exchange. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.